So hey, before we get into Matthew 24, I've been away the last couple of weeks. Uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room that is my hair. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about that. I lost a bet. Um, I usually only make bets I can win, uh, but I bet a guy, Matt, who's actually Ramey's husband, Ramey's our children's director, that when the Nationals traded Juan Soto, uh, that they were not going to win more than 18 games the rest of the way. I think they won 19 or 20, but uh, so I have to grow my hair out for a month. So uh, I have five days left. Uh, so next Sunday, this will be gone. Um, so en- enjoy it while it lasts. But I don't want to be a distraction for you. So the options are just let it keep growing uh, in, in about six months, just kind of Donald Trump that bad boy and, um, and make it work <laughs> or shave it uh, Thursday night or Friday. So uh, we actually have a picture of what I normally look like. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not that vain. Um, uh, do, we, do we have that? No, just kidding. Um, but, uh, but anyways, I don't want to be a strax- distraction, so let's talk about it. I lost a bet. I'm growing my hair, but next Sunday, I will be back to, uh, back to normal. I think most people like that. Jen, you, you ready for that? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so we've been in Matthew. We're moving into the last week of Jesus' life, the last couple of weeks. Uh, Jake and Eric talked about Uh, Well, a few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus making the entry into the city of Jerusalem. They're coronating the king. It appears like the kingdom is going to be fully established right then and there. But then very quickly, Jesus moves. And Eric talked about Jesus kicking over tables and running people out of the temple. And then last week, Jake talked about the, uh, the, the spat with the Pharisees. And they basically went 12 rounds. And Jesus said uh, a lot of very true, but a lot of very hard things about The condition of their heart. And very quickly, it's become clear that the whole party we started in Matthew 21 about Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem is not going to have the ending that they thought it was going to happen, or maybe that we thought was going to happen based on that chapter. And now we move into Matthew 24. They've just left the, uh, they're leaving the temple. Jesus has just finished up this battle with the Pharisees. And in Matthew 24 is where we're going to pick up today. It says, as Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. Now, it might be surprising that they're pointing out the temple. Like, don't they know that Jesus has been there before? Uh, Every year they would go to the temple. So what's so special about this temple? Well, in 20 AD, Herod had started a major renovation project uh, to the temple. If you know back in the day when Solomon built the temple, it was one of the wonders of the world. It was gorgeous, tons of gold, uh, just a, a beautiful, majestic building to basically go and, and offer sacrifices to God in. Well, that temple was destroyed, and then a new temple was, was built. And when the new temple was built, it said the nation of Israel, when they, when they got there to, to celebrate the opening of it, it says that they cried. Uh, not tears of joy, but tears of sadness. Like, you can't believe that this is what's left. We had this over here, and now we've got this. You know, basically, we've gone from, from like a mansion to a trailer. And so they, it said that they actually cried. Well, Herod comes along, and Herod is trying to restore some of the glory to the temple. And so as he's doing this over several years, each year when you go back to Jerusalem, to the temple, you would notice some things that were, that were different, some things you hadn't seen before. It's like when you have people that maybe you knew that lived here that moved away, when they come back into town, they want to see what's changed. They want to see what new neighborhoods are being developed or what's been added to flowers. We want to show them all of the progress they're not making on 42 over here on this expansion project. <laughs> and so when they come into town, it's like you, all these things that they want to see and you want to show them. 
So that's what's happening. The disciples are saying, like, Jesus, like, have you noticed what is being done to the temple? Jesus answers in verse 2. He says, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Like, Jesus is just really in a, like, a Debbie Downer of a mood. Like, man, they're like, look at the temple, and Jesus is like, don't get attached, it's going to be gone. And he's prophesying something that's going to happen in just a few decades when the temple was going to be destroyed in 70 AD. So the disciples are kind of processing this. And then later in verse 3, it says, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when all this will happen, the destruction of the temple. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? So they're asking three questions. When is the temple going to be destroyed? What's the sign of your return and what's the sign of the end of the world? Now, Jesus' return, them asking about Jesus' return is interesting when you consider all the other times that Jesus told him that he was going to die and he was going to leave. They always were like, yeah, whatever, Jesus, we're not going to let you die. We'll fight with you. And they didn't seem to get that he was going to die. Well, now, likely after the last few days and what's taken place, now they're, they're cluing in and going, oh, wait, maybe he is going to die. Maybe he really is going to leave. And so they say, well, how do we know? You've promised you're going to come back. How do we know you're going to come back? What are the signs of that? What's the signs of the end of the world? Now, the phrase the end of the world does not mean the dissolving of the universe. The end of the world means the end of the world government as we know it and the establishment finally and fully of the kingdom of God, that kingdom that we've talked about that is here now, yes, but it's not quite here fully. And Jesus answers these questions in what is now referred to as the Olivet Discourse, which is Matthew 24 and 25. So Matthew 24, he answers the question, and then Matthew 25, he tells parables or stories to illustrate what what he's just told them. This is the final teaching pillar in the book of Matthew. If you remember, we talked about this uh, several times over the last few years, but Matthew has written around five key pillars of teaching. He took pillars of teaching, and then wove narratives in between. And so this is the fifth and final pillar of teaching that's going to set us up for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so Jesus answers these questions in this teaching, and it's a teaching on end times. In fact, it's the most extensive passage of teaching on the end times we have from Jesus. And listen, I know that end times are, it's a confusing topic. I know there's a lot of debates there's probably a lot of strong opinions in here, uh, but I just want to give you really quick before we talk about what Jesus said, kind of a 30,000 foot view of what we know is going to happen. Now, if you're an end times fanatic, you're going to be mad because I'm not going to cover every last detail. I've got 30 minutes. So, uh, but I want to at least give you like a, a flyover of what we know is going to happen. The most important thing is we know Jesus is coming back. We know Jesus is going to return. The second coming of Christ is the second most talked about subject in the New Testament, one out of every 30 verses addresses Jesus' return. We currently are living in what is known as the church age. The church age is from the time the church was established in Acts chapter 2 till now. We've been living in this, this church age, waiting for Jesus to return. The end of the church age potentially will be with the rapture of the church. This is something Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, where he talks about two people being in a field, one taken, the other left. Paul also talks about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, interesting to note, you will never see the word rapture in the Bible, but the rapture is a, is a calling up. It's when Jesus will come in the clouds, not to the earth, 
but he will come in the clouds and he will call up the followers of Jesus. He will call up the church worldwide and we will meet him in the clouds. When that happens, that likely will, will signal the beginning of a seven-year period of tribulation, the first half of which is going to be marked by a time of peace around the world under a charismatic, unifying world leader. During this time, the temple is going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. Sacrifices and offerings are going to happen there, which that is actually a really incredible thing to think about. That's where Abraham was going to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. That's where the original temple stood, the one that Solomon built, the one that was rebuilt, and then the one that was destroyed. Now, here is the biggest problem. Does anyone, in, does anyone know what is on the Temple Mount today? I think we have a, a picture of it. Who knows what that is? That's the Dome of the Rock. Does anyone know what that? Who, uh, that is the, probably the most famous mosque in the world today. So there is a day that's coming where there will be a temple to worship Yahweh in the same area where there is a temple to worship Allah. And there is not peace between those two groups. There's, a, there's, there's war right now over who the Temple Mount belongs to. So do you think right now if they started to build a temple on the Temple Mount that the Muslims would be like, absolutely, like nothing would be cooler than you worshiping Yahweh and us worshiping Allah. Like we'll just do this side by side. But I think what is going to happen is I think a day is coming when there will, there will be a temple that is built and stands and there's worship of Yahweh and worship of Allah happening simultaneously right next to each other. Could you imagine the world leader that could accomplish that? So this world leader will be, uh, well, he'll be a, a great speaker. He'll be a charismatic leader. The temple will be rebuilt. But then at the three and a half year mark, he will put an end to offerings in the temple he will declare himself to be God. That's, this is the person we know as the Antichrist. And he will unite the majority. He'll turn on Israel and he'll unite the majority of the armies of the world against Israel, which will set up a battle of, the battle of Armageddon at the end of the seven-year tribulation period where Jesus will come back to the Mount of Olives. He will defeat the armies and he will establish the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand-year period of the, the reign of Christ when the kingdom is fully established. There are differing beliefs about when all of these things are going to happen, but we know that Satan is going to be bound during the millennial reign of Christ, and then we know he's going to be released for a season, and then he's going to be bound for eternity. Now, again, there are differing beliefs about when this is going to happen. We're not going to argue about it. These are what we call open-handed issues. Uh, we can believe the same thing. We don't have to believe the same thing. You can go to lunch, and you can have a, a healthy debate with someone else, and you guys can have a good time. Don't send me text messages or emails about what you think the timeline is, because I'll be honest with you, I, don't, I really don't care. Like, I think I don't want to be distracted from the main thing. But Jesus does give us some information, some things that we need to know. This is the most extensive teaching that we have on the subject. He doesn't answer all the questions, and I think he does that on purpose. So he gives us some things to watch out for. The disciples say, what should we be looking for? And in verse 4, it says, Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. He says, pay attention, be alert. Pay attention to what's happening around you because there are, there are some signs that are going to, things that are going to be happening when it's near the time that Jesus is going to return. 
He says the end will be marked by things like, like religious deception. One of the most prevalent signs of the last day is deception. He talks about it here. He talks about it in verse 11. He talks about it in verses 23 through 25. And we've seen many obvious examples of this in recent memory. People who were deceived, but oftentimes they were deceived because they believed that the person that they were following was actually good and, and oftentimes was doing good things. Like, think, like take Jim Jones. We remember the end of Jim Jones and the people that followed him down to South America and drank the Kool-Aid and died. But what we don't know, a lot of us don't know, is the beginning of Jim Jones was actually very kingdom-focused. This was a guy who was bringing, was bringing justice. This was a guy who was, who was bringing different groups together, diverse groups, bringing them together to, to worship God together, caring for the poor. Like he was doing a lot of really good things, but along the way, he bought into deception and eventually others followed him. And so Jesus says, watch out for these false messiahs that may be doing good things, but pay attention to what they're saying. Pay attention to what they're claiming. And the moment Jim Jones began to claim himself to be a God should have been the, the final red flag for everybody that this falls exactly in line with what Jesus talked about. Watch out for these false messiahs. He talks about war. On any given day, there are 40 wars taking place in our world. Russia and Ukraine probably comes to our minds the quickest. Today, there is at least one military weapon and at least 4,000 pounds of explosives for every man, woman, and child alive today. The global military expenditures will likely top $2 trillion this year. So you go, man, war, like, yes, definitely the, the, pay attention. Famine. Uh, about 10% of the world's population is undernourished, and it's expected that that number is going to rise with Russia and Ukraine being two of the world's biggest producers of agriculture. Talks about earthquakes and storms, natural disasters. Earthquakes are becoming more common. Hurricanes are becoming more powerful. We're seeing all of these things happening around us, and it, it causes us, it gets our attention, and we go, man, is Jesus' return close? But here's the problem. I think Jesus picked four things that probably characterized maybe every generation from the time he spoke these things until now. Don't you think back in the 1940s with World War II, there were, there were pastors preaching all over this country? The end is near. 85% of the world is involved in World War II. Don't you think they were saying, man, if ever there's a sign that points us to the return of Jesus is imminent, World War II probably would have been it. Famine has always been a problem. Hurricanes and, and storms may be getting stronger, but, that, but that's been inconsistent. Some of the strongest hurricanes on record are 100 years old. So there's all these things that Jesus pointed out and said, be aware of. But even though it's been true of every generation, it says be aware of it, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that my return is going to happen immediately. He said, in fact, it's just the beginning. He said, it's just the beginning of the, of the birth pains. He said, you don't need to go to the hospital yet. The baby's not going to be born right now. But it's time to start paying attention. Maybe it's time to get the paper and the pen and time out the distance between the contractions. Time to get the overnight bag ready. Maybe it's time to, to call your parents so they can come, so they can be on standby to come and watch the kids. Like he's just saying, like, this is just the beginning, but he, but he says there's more to follow. He goes on and gives us a, a warning of what's going to happen. He says in verse 9, then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. 
You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Sin will be rampant everywhere. Love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it, and then the end will come. The gospel will reach every corner of this earth before Jesus will return. And this is one of the great promises that speaks of the power of the gospel, that even under extreme persecution, he says you'll be arrested, you'll be persecuted, you'll be killed. But even under extreme persecution, the gospel will continue to be preached, the church will continue to grow, the kingdom will continue to advance. A LifeWay research study I read said that 360 million or about one in seven Christians worldwide experience significant persecution for their faith right now. When I say extreme persecution, I don't mean your boss told you you couldn't pray before the meeting at work. I'm talking about imprisonment, I'm talking about abuse or torture, and in some instances, even death. At least 13 Christians every day die because they're following Jesus. And in countries like Iran, under extreme persecution, the gospel continues to advance. Iran today is is home to the fastest growing evangelical movement in the world. Continents like Africa, where it's estimated there were 8.7 million Christians in 1900. Today, there's well over 400 million, and it's estimated by 2025 that there will be 600 million Christians in Africa. And yet you look at some of the wars and some of the persecution that's taking place in Africa, the gospel and the mission cannot be stopped. It continues to march forward. It continues to advance. And Jesus warns us, but he also encourages us that our efforts are not in vain, that no no matter how dark it gets, we continue to march forward because we have the light of the world and the light of the world cannot be stopped. From here, he gives us some some clues of some things that are going to happen. He talks about that midpoint in the tribulation when the Antichrist will declare himself to be God and many will worship him. That's referred to as the abomination of desolation. False messiahs claiming to be the answer and because of how chaotic and out of control everything is around us, people are are looking for something to hope in. We latch on to some sense of false hope just because it, it gives us something that we believe we can cling to. Talks about physical signs of being the darkening of the sun and the moon, stars falling from the heavens. And just when it appears things could not get worse, when things could not appear more hopeless, in verse 30 it says, and then at last the sign, of the son of, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens. And there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and the heaven. Just when it appears it couldn't get any worse, when it appears we couldn't be in a more hopeless state, Jesus shows up. Which is kind of cool because it's kind of how Jesus has operated throughout all of history. Like in my life, in your life, just when it things, seems like things couldn't be more chaotic and more out of control, when we feel like we're completely helpless, Jesus is always there and Jesus always shows up. And that's exactly what he's going to do when he returns. 
And then he gives us one more critical clue, one more kind of piece to put together that makes a little bit more sense for us as far as what we're watching for. In verse 32, he says, now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near. It's right at the door. If you remember, Eric talked about this a few weeks ago. The fig tree was cursed. So he says when the fig tree begins to, to, to sprout again, and something that's important for us to, uh, to note is the fig tree in, in the New Testament is almost always a reference to the nation of Israel. So he says there's some signs to watch for. It's kind of like for us when winter turns to spring, we've all got our, our apps on our phone where we can look and see what the, the temperature is going to be. We can look and see the date. But the reality is we don't need a calendar. We don't need apps to know when spring is happening. Like there are just some signs that, that you start to become aware of. You know, the, the trees start to bud. The birds become more vocal, which I don't know about you, but in the spring, uh, the birds becoming more vocal is like a, a really nice sound but by fall, I'm ready to shoot them. Like, I'm sick of hearing them. But when they start to chirp in the spring, like, it's just like, man, spring's coming. For me, when you start to see commercials for March Madness and the Masters, like, spring is close, right? And so there are things that we can look at, and we know when we see these things happening, it's close. And Jesus said, when the fig tree begins to bud, you'll know that not only is the return near, the return is right at and the fig tree is almost always a picture of Israel. So what I think Jesus is saying here is that when we begin to see a sprouting or an awakening among the Jews towards the gospel, coupled with all of the other signs he talked about, that's when we'll know we're close. When there's an awakening, an uncommon, uncommon advancing of the gospel among the Jews, coupled with everything else, we know that it's not just the end is close. We know the end is at the door. Jesus' return is, is here. Think of it like Amazon. You get the notification on your phone, the Amazon driver is 10 stops away. He's in the neighborhood, right? He's, he's close. But then you get a notification that says there's a package on your front door. And you know when the, when the, the driver is 10 stops away, you're paying attention. And you know when all of a sudden you get the notification that the package is there, it's time to go check because it's at the door. So Jesus says, when all of these things are happening that you're watching for, know that the end is close. The Amazon driver is 10 stops away. But couple that with an uncommon advancing of the gospel among the Jews. He's not just 10 stops away, he's at the door. And that's some of the stuff that, that, that we're looking for, that, that, that we're paying attention to. And we could talk about this for weeks. In fact, when I was preparing for this part of the series, I was praying like, God, how much time do, do, do I need to invest in this? And at the end of the day, I came back to the conclusion that we could talk about it for weeks, but we won't, and, and here's why. I think this is important teaching. If it wasn't important, Jesus wouldn't have said it. But Jesus also didn't give us this teaching so that we would obsessively try and piece together all the clues. Listen, you're not Nicolas Cage looking for the Declaration of Independence and National Treasure. You, like, the, the purpose of what Jesus said isn't that we would be obsessed. Like, like there, there's, a, there's a guy that I see at, at Starbucks, and his truck is covered with like doomsday sayings and verses, and, 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 and I believe that he, that he means well. But he is so obsessed with all of this stuff 
that I think he's lost sight of what the most important thing is, and that's the mission that Jesus gave us. See, I think end times are important, but I think end times can be a distraction when we obsess over it. I think end times are important, but I think end times are like the rearview mirrors on our cars. They're really important, but if you spend all of your time looking in the rearview mirror, you're going to wind up in a ditch somewhere. Like they're important, but they're not the main thing. Jesus' prophetic words here, and in fact, all prophetic words are given for three primary reasons. Number one, to get our attention. Pay attention, be alert, see what's happening around you. Number two, they're given to us to encourage our hearts. When the prophecy is about the Messiah, no matter how bad things got, there's a Messiah that's coming. If you and I, no matter how bad things may get, Jesus is going to return. So it's to get our attention, to encourage our hearts, and to shape the way we live, to change the way we live. So then what do we do with all of this? Well, we know that when Jesus is coming back, he's got two things on the agenda. Number one is to judge the sinners, judge those who are far from him, who have rejected his offer of eternal life. Remember, the gospel is going to be preached to every corner of the world. Judge those that have rejected him and reward the faithful. That's it. So our job, our responsibility is to faithfully live out his mission of helping people who are far from God come to a meaningful encounter with the good news of Jesus. To move people from the sinner or the people's side of the ledger and to move them to the faithful side. He tells us a couple things to do in, in, in the following verses in verse 42. He said, so you too must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when, you least, when least expected. He says, stay alert because he could come back today. Are you ready? Are you alert? Are you paying attention? He says, be ready because no one knows the hour. Jesus said himself, he said, even I don't know. There are all these estimates out there about when Jesus is coming back. There was a group I read about in the, eight, I think it was the 1840s. They'd figure out the date that Jesus was going to come back. It was like October something in the 1840s. And so at the beginning of the year, they sold everything they owned, put on white robes and went into the mountains. How awkward was that when awkward October 26th rolled around, right? Like all of a sudden, they're trying to figure out how to re, re-engage in life. But it was foolish to ever do that because Jesus says you don't know. There's a guy who wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. He sold a ton of copies in the 80s. But nobody's buying I tried to buy it just because I thought it'd be funny to have it. Uh, but nobody's buying that book now, right? Everyone looks at it and goes, that's That's crazy. But Jesus said, don't try to figure it out because no one knows. If anyone on the earth was going to know when Jesus was here, it would have been him. If there's anyone that the father could trust to keep a secret, it was the son. But Jesus said, even I don't know. So live ready. Because just like a, a, a burglar breaks in your house in the middle of the night when you least expect it, that's, when Jesus, that's what Jesus' return is going to be like. If you knew someone was going to break into your house, this is Johnston County. I know what would happen. <laughs> the guns would be loaded. <laughs> the dogs would be hungry. Um, I, I don't know about you. I would, I would put like an electric current running through all my stuff and just let them in. Like, have fun. <laughs> but we would be ready, right? 
It's foolish to think that we would not have all the lights on, all the things that, the, that are announcing to him, try to break into, the, break into this house, buddy, and you're going to pay dearly. We would be ready. So Jesus said, live every day as if I might come back today. Live every day as if the burglar is going to break into your house tonight. And then he says, not only stay alert, he says, remain faithful to the mission in verse 45. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds the servant has done a job, there will be a reward. He will reward the faithful. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. We've got to remain faithful to the mission. Jesus is using this parable as an example of our relationship to him and to the responsibility that, that he has left us. Jesus is the master and we are the servants. We have a responsibility to the mission he's entrusted to us. We talk about that a lot here. Like our vision statement is to be disciple-making followers of Jesus. It's not clever. It's not trendy. It's Jesus' words. This is what Jesus entrusted us with. The last thing he told us to do was to go make disciples. That is our mission. That is the main thing. And when you look back to verse 14, he says the thing that is going to be happening when he returns is the gospel is going to be preached in every corner of the world. Jesus is, is coming back. And we have a job to do. And listen to me, we have to stop making excuses. We have to stop prioritizing other things. We have to stop coming up with reasons why we can't get the job done. We have the spirit of Jesus living in us. We've been given everything that we need. And yet we continue to make excuses for why we don't invite people to follow Jesus. Why well, don't want to damage the relationship? If you really believe that Jesus is the way to God, if you really believe it's the most important thing, wouldn't you risk that? Like we say, we say, well, what if I mess it up? Like, like that's okay. The Holy Spirit's a pretty bright guy. <laughs> he can work through the, the, the mess ups in our words or, or how we didn't get a timeline right or, or, or how we said something about Jesus that maybe wasn't true. Like the Holy Spirit's powerful. Or like, I don't know enough. I think this is the most frustrating lie from the enemy that we buy into. We say, I don't want to tell anyone about Jesus because I don't know enough. And what always makes me laugh about that is when has that ever stopped you before? Like take any other topic. When's the last time you shared a, a Facebook status that was completely ridiculous, but because it's on Facebook, it must be true. Like even recently, one of our, one of our kids came home and announced that Frozen 3 was coming out in November. Like you young moms, like that's good news, isn't it? Right? Like your kids probably want to see that. So then we go to a coffee shop and there's a little girl in there with a Frozen t-shirt on and... I think it was, I'll throw Jen out of the bus, it was you or me, I think it was Jen, that said, Frozen 3's coming out in November, and then immediately she was like, knowing, the, knowing the, which of our children told us that, she's like, we should probably fact check that. <laughs> so we did, and it's not. <laughs> but yet, we were so quick to declare to someone, this is true, even if we didn't know it was true. But yet, we have the hope of the world taking up residency within us. He's changed us. He's given us hope. He's given us purpose. He's given us meaning. We have our story. And yet somehow we bind a lie of the enemy that that is not enough. 
Man, we're sitting here this morning celebrating a Savior who lived, died, was buried, and rose again to reconcile us back to God, to save us from our sins. And then we don't want to tell anybody else about it. Francis Assisi, the famous quote, preached the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. He actually never said that. It's another one of those things that we just spout off. But the quote still, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. Words are necessary. We are not just the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the voice of Jesus. And Jesus is coming back. And are we paying attention? Are we ready? Are we prepared? When I was growing up, both of my parents worked. They worked nine to five jobs. And when they would leave in the morning, they would leave us, my sister and I, a list of chores. And they were things that had to be done before we went outside to play. I'd wake up in the morning, I'd see the list, and I knew they didn't get off till five. So I'd tell my sister, if you don't see me by 4.30, come find me. <laughs> so I'd go out and I'd, I'd play, and I will never forget one day, early in the afternoon, out there playing baseball with my friends, and the road that leads down to our house is off to the right, and I look up and I see my, my dad drove a brown Ford Escort. And I saw the brown Ford Escort driving down the road. And if you grew up in my generation, you know what that meant. Like it was bad. (laughs) But guess who did their chores in the morning every day for probably about three months. But, But every day, guess who did their chores in the morning? I did. Why? Because I believed that my dad could come home early and I didn't want to be caught unprepared. I knew what I was supposed to do and I didn't want to be caught unprepared. Jesus is coming back. And are you caught unprepared? Are you putting off the things that he's told us to do because we believe we have time? Because we're prioritizing other things. Jesus is returning, and when he returns, he's judging sinners, and he's rewarding the faithful. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is when Jesus says, when, when, we, when we stand before him, uh, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. One of the biggest fears of my life is that when I stand before him, he won't say, well done, good and faithful servant. He'll just say, Enter. Because I believed, but I wasn't faithful. Jesus is coming back. Live every day aware. and Live every day as a faithful servant of the mission that he's entrusted to us. Let's pray. Jesus, we just ask that you would speak right now. Speak into our hearts. Jesus, show us what you want us to see, what you want us to believe, how you want us to live. Jesus, help us to, this morning, be confronted with the goodness of the gospel. 
what, what we've received, what we've experienced, the story we have now that you are rewriting. And as we experience the goodness, as we experience the good news, the gospel, would we help others who are far from you, who haven't experienced, would we help them come to a meaningful encounter with the gospel, with the good news, with the goodness of who you are? Jesus, it's in your name that we pray it.